0: Chapter 22. The Flying Girl. The morning of the first day of the long-heralded aviation meet dawned bright and sunny, as only a Southern California January morning can. By seven o'clock, vast throngs were hurrying southward to Dominguez, a broad plain midway between Los Angeles and the ocean, where much important aviation history had been made. By nine o'clock, the grandstand was packed, an automobile row occupied by hundreds of cars filled with ladies in gay apparel, their escorts, and imperturbable chauffeurs. The crowd was beginning to circle the vast field, and nearly every face bore an excited, eager expression. The event scheduled might well arouse the interest of a people just awakened to the possibilities of aerial navigation. Important prizes had been offered by wealthy men and corporations for the most daring flights of the meet. Ten thousand dollars would go to the aviator showing the most skillful and adroit handling of an aeroplane, five thousand for the longest flight, another five thousand for an endurance test, and a like sum to the one attaining the greatest height. In addition to these generous purses, two thousand dollars would be given for the best starting and alighting device exhibited, and two thousand for the best safety device. For speed, several huge purses were donated, and altogether the aviators present would compete for more than fifty thousand dollars in gold. Besides various medals and cups and the priceless prestige gained by excelling in a competition where the most successful and famed airships and aviators of the world congregated. Therefore, it is little wonder public interest was excited, and every aviator determined to do his best. Many thronged the hangars, asking innumerable questions of the good natured attendants, who recognized the popular ignorance of modern flying devices and were tolerant and communicative to a degree. The morning events were of minor importance, although several clever exhibitions of flying were given. But at 2 o'clock the competition for a skillful handling of an aeroplane in mid-air was scheduled and at that time the appetite of each spectator was wet for the great spectacle the day seemed ideal for aviation the sky was flecked with fleecy clouds and scarcely a breath of air could be felt at the earth's surface now came the first appearance of the cane aircraft it had not been brought from the hangar during the morning and in watching such celebrated aeroplanes as the Bleriot, the Farman, the Antoinette, Curtis, and Wright, manned by the greatest living aeronauts, those assembled had almost forgotten that a local inventor was to enter the lists with them. The secretary of the Aero Club and interested others had expected Mr. Burton to protest against allowing the Kane device to be operated, on the ground that Kane was entered to operate it and was unable to do so but for some unaccountable reason burton remained silent not even appearing at the field and mr cumberford's explanation that the cane in this instance meant the young man's sister satisfied the officials perfectly naturally they were surprised and even startled at the idea of a girl taking part in the great aviation meet but hailed the innovation with the keenest interest suddenly while the field was clear and half a dozen airplanes hovered in the air above it, the cane aircraft rolled into the open, circled before the grandstand, and then, gracefully and without effort, mounted into the air. Those who had witnessed Stephen's prior performance were not astonished at this unassisted rise from the earth to the air, but they were all delighted by the grace and beauty of the ascent, and a roar of applause burst spontaneously from the crowd. The peculiar construction of the aircraft so diverted attention from its aviator that few marked the slender form of Orissa or knew that a girl was making this daring flight. There were some, however, whose eyes were eagerly riveted on the indistinct figure of the flying girl and utterly disregarded the machine. Stephen, comfortably propped among the cushions of the motor car, with his mother seated behind him and Sybil opposite, divided his attention between his sister and his creation. Mr. Cumberford, knowing what the machine would do, watched Orissa through a powerful glass, and decided from the first that she was cool and capable. Chesty Todd also watched the girlish figure, with a more intense interest than he had ever displayed during his brief and uneventful life. The reporter had been worried lest Mr. Cumberford neglect to warn the girlish operator of the Kane aircraft of danger, so he pushed through the crowd about the hangar, and just as Arissa passed the doorway, seated in her airplane, he said in a low tone, "Look out for a collision." She started and cast an inquiring look at him, but there was no time to reply. The machine had been drawn by the assistants to a clear space and she had to devote her attention to her work. As she threw in the lever, Mr. Cumberford, who stood beside the aircraft, hurriedly whispered, Be careful, Larissa. Look out for danger. Then she was off, facing the thousands on the field, with nerve and brain resolutely bent upon the task she had undertaken. It was no indifferent thing this brave girl attempted, until now her acquaintance with an airplane had been wholly theoretical. It was her first flight, yet so thoroughly did she understand every part of her air vehicle, what it was and how to use it, that she had implicit confidence in herself and her machine. Naturally level-headed, alert, and quick to think and act, Orissa was no more afraid of soaring in the air than riding in an automobile. Aside from her desire to operate the aircraft so skillfully that her brother's invention would be fully appreciated, she was determined to attempt the winning of the $10,000 prize, which would establish the Kane fortunes on a secure basis. And that was enough for one untried 17-year-old girl to think of. So it was small wonder that she absolutely forgot the impressive warnings she had received. The air is a mighty thoroughfare, free and untrammeled. The little group of airplanes operating over Dominguez, darting here and there and up and down, had little chance of colliding, for there was space enough, and then some despair. Orissa knew all about air currents and their peculiarities, and she also knew that her greatest safety lay in high altitudes with a feeling of rapturous exhilaration. She began to realize her control of the craft and her dominance of the air. A masterful desire crept over her to accomplish great deeds in aviation. Those who were watching below. Judges, friends, and spectators saw her steadily mounting higher and higher until she seemed to fade out of sight like the figure in a moving picture with nothing but a little iron and wood skeleton and the chugging of a tiny engine to ward off death. Then she came into sight again, a little smudge of grayish white against the shifting clouds. To see her up there, a mere speck dodging among the storm clouds reminded the observers, as nothing in aviation has ever done before, of the awful audacity of man in building these mechanical birds. As they watched, they found themselves hoping, as a child might, that in some way the brave little speck would manage to escape those gigantic sky monsters. Then one seized the aircraft, and just as the sun caught and flung back to Earth, a flash from one of the busy propeller blades, A huge cloud swallowed up the machine and aviator, and they vanished like mist. It was odd how the terror of the spectators increased at this sudden disappearance. They knew that somewhere in that awesome, infinite firmament, a frail little thing made by the hand of man was battling with nature's most mysterious forces for supremacy. And man won. In less than a minute, there was another flash of sunlight and the little gray speck emerged saucily from behind the cloud and made a dive for another. Then the speck in the sky began to grow larger, and Orissa attempted an amazing dive earthward that caused the throng to fall silent, motionless, gazing with bated breath and startled eyes at the thrilling scene. It was a long swoop out of space and into being, a series of dives a half mile long, And each nearly straight down. The girl glided earthward until the aircraft nearly touched the ground. Then she adroitly tilted it up again and tore away across the course in great circles while the spectators, roused to life, thundered their applause. Her control of the airplane was really wonderful. Again, encouraged by her success, she shot up into the air, rising to the height of half a mile and then performed the hazardous feat known to aviators as the spiral dip. She began by circling widely at an even elevation, and then dipping the nose of the aircraft, and narrowing the circles as she plunged swiftly downward with constantly accelerating speed. It was a bewildering and hair-raising performance, and no one but Walter Brookins had ever before undertaken it. A dozen feet from the ground, Orissa reined in her Pegasus and glided over the group of hangars on her inclined ascent, the third she had made without alighting. There were other airplanes doing interesting stunts, and each aviator seemed to be exercising his ingenuity to excel all the others. Yet the eyes of the crowd followed the Kane aircraft with an absorbed fascination that relegated the other contestants to the rear.